Please note that this episode contains a discussion of suicide that some people may find difficult. If you want to avoid this content, skip to the 17-minute mark of this episode. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, playwrights. Welcome to Hey, Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. We are in season four. Can you believe it? Uh, I am having an absolute blast. It's it's incredible that we have uh, connected with so many amazing artists because it's not just playwrights, but all of these different um, artists who work in the theater, who make it happen. Yep. Um, I, I, I love it. I feel, I feel really grateful and I'm, I I am in a huge space of gratitude. Me too. I feel like this is the MFA program (laughs) that we don't have to pay for. (laughs) Yes, that's right. This is, this is what this is. (laughs) I mean, some of us are in school Yes. That would be you. But, oh, yes. Yes. I mean, I'm wearing my, do you see this? I'm repping yes, my. Yes, you are. I'm, oh, yes. I'm, I can I'm see I'm repping it. my school. Um, I usually wear this sweatshirt. So for those of you who cannot see, it's my University of San Diego sweatshirt. Um, I usually wear this when I uh, need to motivate myself for a, a paper that I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. So I put this on. This is like my super, this is my cape. Like my, when I get in my superhero mode and I have to like do that I seriously I swear it sounds ridiculous and cheesy but like totally I rock this um when I'm when I when I need to like no there's a lot to to be said about ritual yeah it is yeah no really if you have that if you have a uh, a writing ritual or any type of ri- like we all have rituals right we get up in the morning we tend to do the same thing I think there, there's something to be said about having one, but also maybe flipping it when we need to. Wait, Tori, do you have a writing ritual? Oh, no. Are you calling me out? No, I'm asking. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't have a writing ritual. Do you have a writing ritual? Do you? You know, I, I think I've talked about this before, but maybe not. And uh, no. Oh, <laughs> sure. Okay. Answers. Okay. You know what? You know what it is. I'm going to say this is why, <laughs> because I tend to carry ideas around for a while, and I it's almost as if I'm doing that first draft either in notes or internally. I, like I'm writing and rewriting. I'm not saying that this is the best way to do it because I also get very disillusioned if I'm not sitting down and physically putting something on paper or into the computer, then I start to talk myself out of the idea. And so I think that ritual can be important um, to, to keep, keep you moving forward. You've got to just keep moving forward because as we've learned talking to all the different artists we've talked to, you know, a lot of times that first thing you put out there is not going to be it like you've got to put it out there let it be crap and then you know rework it mm-hmm. yes 
What about you? Do, are you saying no? I thought you I, said no. I, <laughs> no, I, I don't have a writing ritual. I'd like to have a writing ritual because I hear about people's writing rituals. I will say this. So I've been waking up early to write. It's not a writing ritual. It's just like, you know, anxiety kicks in and I'm like awake and I might as well just go write something. But one thing that I have started doing is this is not a ritual. This is just a thought that comes to my head. I'm like, I wonder if Jose Cruz Gonzalez is up right now writing. <laughs> <laughs> like I think about him because remember we read that article a few years ago about, you know, how he gets up super early. And then like, you know, we asked him when he was on the show last season and he said that, yeah, he gets up. So I'm like, I wonder if he's drinking his coffee right now and he's writing. <laughs> I do think that I, I feel like I think maybe that is a part of my ritual right now. Mm -hmm. just thinking about him channeling my inner Jose Cruz Gonzalez seeing where that that spirit takes me isn't you that know, funny isn't that bizarre isn't that creepy going back to the no creepy. i love that i love that and as a matter of fact leading into our season opener guest for today i think about how she may have channeled these characters and how what rituals she has in her in her wheelhouse you know in that toolkit because her her writing not only resonates, but has staying power, continues to be done. She has won the Pulitzer Prize. She had a couple of Tonys. A couple of Tonys. <laughs> <laughs> and she is a huge champion for women, for the voices of women in the theater and uh, working for gender parity nationwide. Mm -hmm. Our guest for today. I can't even believe this. I can't either. Is Marsha Norman? Welcome, welcome yeah. to my show. <laughs> hey, Mabel. Like started like, hey, Marsha. Oh, yes. Hey, Mabel. Hey, Tori. Hey, Marsha. Oh my God, this is incredible. We have Marsha Norman on. Hey, playwright. <laughs> yes, and I, I, I swear, I feel like words elude me a little bit right now because. Uh, you know, suffice it to say, just you were one of my first introductions to playwriting and to theater. What? And I, I am so grateful for that because um, you helped me to understand what could be possible. And that, it, that, <sighs> so that's, that's a special great. place in my heart. Did you read Getting Out or what happened? How, getting out and night mother and just sitting in those stories and you, you know I, I I actually approached theater as an actor first and so that's when I had the introduction to your plays but then being in the shoes of those characters I went oh I understand and we definitely did read your plays in in the playwriting classes that I had as well so okay. but yeah as as I'm it really should interested be in what the two differences were when you were when you're in a character did you were you in Jesse or were you in or were you I mean did you do did you did you favor any of the particular characters um, um well did you no. Oh gosh, this gets really personal. But um, <laughs> in Night Mother, <laughs> uh, I I think what 
drew me into that story is that I, I understood and I appreciated and identified with Jesse and that she is not apologetic. She is steadfast in what she's going to do and what brought her to that point. I think because um, my own struggles with depression and with those thoughts, really, I, I just identified with her and I thought, you know what? I think that um, when it comes to mental health or when it comes to suicide, I've so, so many famous people it in not in the not so recent past True. have, have decided to, to take their lives and, and, but I, I just get very upset about other people's opinions about them and their journey and why they did it. Because I think, you know, that is the one thing that a person can do to take control and have agency. And you're not asking permission from anybody else. And maybe sometimes it's the thing that a person feels is the is how what they can do but that they are not being of service anymore to other people in their lives and that you know but that so i felt you. you know that's that's exactly what um i was that i found in in the writing i i had a conversation with a a, a wonderful psychiatrist who did a lot of work with people in um and I and he gave me this book, which I really loved. And in this book, I okay, I wish I knew this book and what the title of it was, and maybe who wrote it, but I don't. What the book said that moved me so much was that that suicide is quite often um, more of a solution than a problem. It's a solution. It's a. It's like you you try, you try, you try, you try all these things, and then suddenly there just aren't any more things to try to to uh, relieve yourself of the anxiety or the or the sadness or the despair or the be it sense of being lack of worth and I mean all those things that people um, feel and and I and the solution is as if there was a terrible show on TV you just turn it off and right. then you're not seeing it anymore I think we spend a lot of time like watching ourselves and uh i i think that that's a thing that sometimes i mean right now i'm watching myself um kind of not eat and i I know that's not good i should eat but i i've just gotten so tired of it and so i so i just i see it i'm going are you gonna what you're gonna be one of these like tiny little old women that gets carried around for fear her bones will be broken and it's like no you're not gonna want to do that eat and it, you know, it over the course of four or five days, I can get myself to do what I want myself to do. But so, but that's tricky. Mm-hmm. And I think, Mama, what I what I said to the last cast that I talked to, the British cast at the uh, uh, Th- Hampstead Theater, you know, I said that they both try as hard as they possibly can in this in this show. This is a, this is like a 
Yeah, I mean, people have said that this is like a world heavyweight championship bout, but but it's but it's a each 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 of the blows or whatever is really an attempt to um, to give information, to ask for information, to try to resolve the final. Uh, it's like it's like they're negotiating her will. You know, they go like through everything that she has in her heart and mama some of its new information and some of it's not and mama begins to give back but that does not change jesse's mind mm-hmm. and i think that she understands that fortunately um what's her name is around what is that what is the woman that has all the birds um the mother's friend ah oh, oh no wait i have the no 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 <laughs> i really can think of it um, but, but she's a, the kind of a goofy woman that is friend of Jesse's mother. And she has, you know, those, uh, the brother and the, and the wife and the, I mean, they're, mom's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But what, 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 what she learned, I believe in this is, is precious. It's precious. It's the stuff that, that is really hard to learn about even the people closest to you. You know, it's a conversation you never have. Like, what are the, what are the, what really matters to you? What really hurt you? Were you really sad when Cecil left you? What about Ricky? He's a criminal. Is that okay? You know, is it okay if I sit here and eat candy and crochet all day? Is it, I mean, all these things between people that somehow we don't talk about. I guess we think we will someday, but. I think that night mothers really look at like what doesn't ever get said. Yes. And a lot of the things, I mean, in this particular conversation, Jesse learns things that she never would have known. Still, they don't stop her. Mm-hmm. And so I think that she's, she could have been helped by that information a long time ago. In fact, I had a doctor, well, of course, doctors do this, but. A doctor came up to me at one point um, after having seen Night Mother, and he said, I know exactly the moment when I could have stepped in and helped her. Well, um, maybe you do, but that's <laughs> that's not what she was looking for. Yeah. She was looking for release, you know, for freedom, for blankness, for air, to be kind of inside a Terrell lighting box. You know, it's just like she was looking, you know, she was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, and she was also tired of being sick. I mm-hmm. mean, is that, sick, is that the exhausted you mean? Yeah. I agree. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad you were drawn in by them. And uh, I hope you, um, you know, I hope we get to see, I really hope last year there was talk, there was going to be an Oprah Winfrey, Audra McDonald pairing of in night mother. And um, it, 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 um, it didn't happen for a couple of reasons, but um, what a great plan, right? I would, you know, I think wow. that, that would be amazing. Um, yeah. And there's some other, there's some other, because I've seen, I've seen it all over the world. I mean, I don't, I don't, or I, I used to go see it, not crazy a lot, but so I used to go, you know, when it was Denmark and I hadn't ever been there or it was Finland and I hadn't ever been there and it was like that. Um, 
So anyway, thank you very much. And um, and and let, let's go on to another thing. What should it be? <laughs> before before we started recording, we started talking about activism and you were about to give us um, a, a statistic that I think Tori and I, because Tori and I are both honor roll members. Um, yeah. So we we're, you know. Well, I'm this is my project was involved with honor roll as well. Um, my project is just called Wonder Women because that seems like the right idea. Anybody that's lived to be 50 and still writing? Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so, so can I just launch? So what, so, so I was talking to, so I was teaching a class um, at the Drama Guild Institute and the women were very interesting to me and the men were all like the talkers. And I, I just wanted to talk to the women. So I, I said to the guild, to Terry, I said, I want to teach a class of women over 50. And, and because I had been to see Todd London, who works at the guild, and I said, um, how many plays by women over 50 were produced last year in American theaters? And he goes like, <laughs> and, mm. looked and he said, 12. 12. And I thought, okay, this is not all right with me. So I am going to teach these women and uh, three more classes of these women to have a cohort of like 120 or so writers, people who would like to be writers, people have written and, you know, it's, and so we have, we may have two classes a year and the next class is going to be something like a writer's room where um, people come with work and and we're not just listening to me talk, but we're 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 listening to how the plays are progressing. So they have a deadline. They have a you know like that. And then my idea for Wonder Women is to take those plays and plays anybody else sends me. There'll be something that comes out to honor roll. There you know I'm going to collect or um, um, about uh, whatever about 250 plays if I can. And then we have readers all set up. And these readers will find the 20 plays that they think have the best chance of getting produced. That's the idea. Not like the finest liter, the fine, you know, it's like, no, these plays will get done. Um, and we've worked to help each other with that. How do I get my play done? Like there was one, so one play had come out of this. Um, it's a person, you know, I'm sure, but I won't say her name, but, um, and she said, I said, what is the title of this play? And she said, it's a suitcase full of antiquities. And I thought, okay, it can't be that. <laughs> because there's not a literary office in the world. You know, I mean, to get to the director, you have to go through the literary office at the theater. And if you, and, they, and if they see suitcase full of antiquities, just imagine the picture they see up on the wall. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, uh, I mean, I can even see the wallpaper in the room that has the super <laughs> but I love her. And I said, let's, let's go around the room. Cause I, I suddenly realized she wasn't, she didn't have a contemporary framework in language such that it could get past those young women in the literary offices. So, um, and I don't mean all, they're not all women. They're, they're all kind of people. Um, but I asked the class to, to suggest by pieces of paper 
uh, what another title might be. And here it comes. Someone suggested How to Live. How to Live is a play I would go see in a flash. Mm-hmm. And, or I would see it on TV if it was on a play streaming something or other. Um, you know, How to Live as opposed to Suitcase Full of Antiquities. So this is one of the things I discovered. I mean, I learned as much as they did about how the theater had changed in the time or how the literary offices had changed in the last 25 years. And that's what you have to bear in mind as you are writing in every aspect of your writing. Because if you want to get it done, it can't just be what, what you want to write about. It has to be what you want to write about given the circumstances of the modern world. And then we'll pick the best 20 of those plays that come in and we will put them in the hands of 20 um, uh, powerful writers who are attached to certain theaters. I mean, like Emily Mann is associated with our theater and Paula. So, and, and their job will be to put that play in the hands of the director of the theater. Mm. This is a play that needs to be done because this is a canon that we have to fill when it comes to American lives. You know, we have men writing plays all along, all along, all along, all along till they die. I mean, Edward was working on a play when he died. And then we have women going, right, 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 right. Um, huh. Obstacle, 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 exhaustion, obstacle. Ob and what I want to do is, is find the bridge over the obstacles, which is let if you get that play written and it gets seen by these people and by and and uh, and comes to us, our little secret gang, uh, Jackie and me <laughs> mainly. Uh, but um, but um, then then one of those twenty is going to get in the hands of of a. And so it's not a, you know, it's not like a competition. It's like we're searching for a very particular kind of play. And we know that the, the American theater is missing the entire, that entire section of the canon. We know perfectly well what happens to men and how they feel after they're 50. But women after 50, what, we sit and watch the men? No, we don't. <laughs> but what, what has to be clear is that, is that everybody has to be aware that this is a loss. We can't pass on this 50 years of American life without any stories of women in it over 50. I mean, this is just, and they can't, we can't have them written by men because men see us as opposed to being us. It's simple enough. And a lot of, a lot of men understand women, but not particularly for the stage. I think most men use women in plays as um, props. <laughs> I don't now that that's not true of everyone. There are great women characters written by great men. Um, but but we need great women characters written by women. So that's what I'm after. And I'm um, um, I'm really I'm really excited about it. 
And so what do you what do you think makes for a great producible play if, if you're able to even Yes, I am. And it's part of my it's part of my um you said to me we're going to ask you for um a prompt, a writing prompt. And I want to give you the one that John Dory gave me all those years ago when I had just scribbed and saved up enough money to live for a year without writing. And he heard I was writing and he, um, he offered me a commission. I had to turn it down. And then um, we did these three lunches, right? In which he said, I'm going to tell you the mistakes you don't have to make as a beginner. I thought, okay. And um, so I will, no need to go into those. I will tell you what his big <laughs> writing prompt was, right? Uh, go back at least 10 years in your life and write about a time when you were terrified. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be something that's that terrified for yourself. It can be terrified for, for something that's happening to anybody, but terror has to be it. And it, it can't be zombies. Oh, well, I mean, I guess it could be zombies. Uh, <laughs> and I can't at Yale, I'll do a, do a, um, do a play on, oh, damn, what was that food? Uh, pizza, uh, oh, it was like pizzatarianism, or it's a, what's the word, what's the word <laughs> like that? Maybe it was, um, maybe it was cheese, maybe it was um, pasta, oh, pastafarian, that's what it was. Pasta, <laughs> pastafarian, yes. And I, and then, you know, a year after I taught him, I saw an article about, they're really big. They're really. This is a real thing, that there are sects of pastafarians, and you can kind of guess what they do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so that writing prompt was what got me working on getting out, which mm -hmm. is, you know, I was the most afraid when I was teaching in a state mental hospital in the kids unit. There was a girl there who was 14, she had us all so scared because she was so inherently violent and she had no fear of consequence, which made her very, very powerful. Because she didn't care what you wanna put her in a room by herself for two days, she didn't care. You wanna, you wanna send her over to be, you know, send to have electricity sent to her, fine. She just didn't care. And it was, and then in prison, she had an incident that turned her from a violent, non-caring kid into a person who was um, calm and attentive and um, purposeful and, um, and rehabilitated. Hmm. As you know from the play, uh, she finally discovers outside that she can't be just calm, rehabilitated Arlene. She has to, she has to have some of that violent kid self back. And that's, you know, that's what the, that's what the, um, that's what came from the prompt. I mean, I was so terrified of that girl on the floor every day that I would just literally stop and wait for her to go past. And then I, I mean, so that's, that's what I mean, that, that kind of, find a place like that terror where 
And then I could, you know, then you do the work. You go find out, well, what was it like for her when she was in prison? Well, what did what did it look like when she got her picture taken by the Dixie Gazette? And what, you know, what, um, what, what did, uh, uh, what did it feel like when she learned to write? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, uh, uh, Mabel, we've been there, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, mm-hmm. we certainly have from the, definitely uh, there's something about working with, with children, right? Um, mm-hmm. We have these ideas of, of what they're supposed to be like, and we we're exposed to a, a different reality of, of things that we cannot begin to comprehend levels of trauma that we just, that are so. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. The trauma, like mm-hmm. who knows what trauma that child experienced that brought them to this place. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Marsha, in in this book, The Collected Works, Volume 1, yes. there is actually right before getting out, you had written an introduction. And and that's actually where that I, I see the prompt from John Jory. But there's this quote I, I wanted to ask you about. So at the end of that introduction, you say, years later, I would realize I wasn't writing about Arlie. I was writing about myself. I would realize that all of us are frequently mistaken for someone we used to be, but that's a subject for another day. So today is another day. And I wanted to ask you, who have you been mistaken for that you used to be? Um, well, after, uh, after Night Mother, um, I, I used to be taken for a person who only wanted to talk about suicide. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, Night Mother, of course, brought me to the end of my, my um, questioning of it. And that from then on, all I wanted to say is, oh, I'm so sorry. And um, I'm, I'm just really, I feel sorry for your loss because I would get these comments would come in that were like, um, oh, Night Mother was so, so great. I, you know, I, I felt that way myself or I have a sister who's suicidal, I would, you know, and, it, and I, I wanted to be two things. With my great dear friends, I wanted them to know that if they ever got to the Jesse place, they were to call me. They were to call me and immediately call me. It didn't matter what time, night or day. And I would come and be there with them. Um, and I w- and I and I would would force on them one more chance. Um, and then I and and but but in terms of giving psychological advice or helpful advice or comfort or anything, um, I couldn't be I couldn't be that person because I I was um, I was. I was done. I was through, you know, I was, and I don't mean that I wasn't sympathetic. It's just that I had, had got, had given the help I could in the form that I could don't. And the message of please don't blame yourself, mama, (laughs) please don't blame yourself. We, we all live complicated lives and we don't know how sometimes things come about, but don't, you must not blame yourself for this because this was this was their decision. This person, and they they took it, um, and 
and comfort yourself and but don't blame yourself so so that you know that's who i used to i was in the time of night mother i was constant i worked on it for i don't know three years or so in terms of getting it ready and um but then i wasn't you, you know what i mean i just wasn't the wasn't the therapist i i wasn't i had told the story i know i think that's probably the best one which is that when people assume because you're the writer that you are in the writing somewhere mm. and that's not true always you you can be but mainly you have simply seen something uh felt something witnessed something that that was at such a high level of volume in your mind that you you it went on record automatically it switched the record button so that you can bring back that scene and play it over and over again and you and you wonder about it you wonder why did that why was that like that why did that go that way well i read an article where you had talked about in your process of writing i think it was specifically night mother but i I was wondering, oh, I, I bet you do this with other plays as well, where the characters would just pop up at dinner <laughs> and you would be and, you know, having the conversation. And and I thought that's actually a lovely place to be when those characters are just they are seeking you out to write yeah. that story. Right. You know? exactly, yeah, no, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. I'm having the same experience now I'm writing. Um, a kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe the play, but it's, but it has a lot of characters unknown to me who yet I know there's a, I know I'm writing about a group, but I only at the moment know one of the people in it. And, and I, I am, and I need to, and right now I'm working through how I get from, how I get her back to how did how I do the transportation, you know, between how she gets back to the group. Does she go back one at a time? Do they all meet together? Do they, um, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the process uh, by which we learn about the rest of them because they are all contributing in a really valuable way to this, to this project. And, it, and, um, but they're completely unknown to us or history. Hmm. Oh, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> Good. Yes. Good. Yeah, I don't want to say because I don't want to. Yeah, no, I don't. I totally. Yeah, understand. I'm a great believer in like holding on to it like it's mine and then having it go like burst out. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, Marsha, what, if I may ask, what does your writing routine look like? Do you write every day, every morning? Uh, I don't there... have one. I haven't had a writing routine since I had the kids. Um, I write when I can. I don't, I used to be, I used to love to write. There was a time in the day that was like five o'clock, which I now think of as like drinking hour. But like <laughs> at the time I thought five o'clock, that's when you, if you've got a tough scene to write, write it at five o'clock because that's when you will have exhausted your defenses. You'll have, mm. you won't have any way to protect yourself from what your true gut is it your true gut wants a drink and that's what you, that's what you want ought to write from the, the want to drink you know like i gotta this 
thing is no, no kidding. Whereas in the morning, you're a little bit like, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe they were actually friends on some level or they learned things from each other. No. <laughs> you know, if, the, if, there's a, if there's a painful truth, like I remember when I was writing Getting Out, there was a moment when I had no idea what anybody, what, what Arlie was going to say. And I thought, oh my God. And I was then living in an apartment that had a, a, a lowered section that was actually a bar with a bar in it, about, not a retail bar. But, and I, and I, that was my writing room. And I just uh, lay down on the floor and, and stayed there, <laughs> you know, with my <laughs> hands like this on the floor and going like, I give up. What, what is it? As you know, as if there were like a big writing spirit that just went around finally responding to the, to the, um, to the poor writers that are down there going, please, please, big spirit. <laughs> um, but, but there are those places where you can't, there's, there, there a lot of place, place have serious architecture. They have to be designed architecturally so that they work and they move in the right direction as if you were building a little car that took the main character through this, you know, terrain. That's the idea. But what you cannot do is sit down with a bunch of unmade cars. You know, I mean, you can't sit, you have to have characters that you develop, that you understand, that you, um, that you know what's in their purses. You know what's, you know what, you know what the problem, what they think, what they would do to the squash soup if they, if you'd let them. It, it, I mean, that's the level where you have to know the secondary people. And the main character then has a, a stronger shot at, at a, at a really interesting hour <laughs> or and a half, you know, a, a real trial. Because I think that what people in plays are trying to do is get home. Mm -hmm. No, they're trying to get home and they, because they're not home. And that's a feeling that we all know and nobody likes it. So this is why we will watch as Sweeney Todd, for example, we know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get well and get better and get get sane. I mean, he doesn't make it, but, uh, <laughs> but there are a lot of characters who do, you know, mm -hmm. there are characters who start out, I mean, you know, Dorothy, Wizard of Oz, you know, I mean, she starts out just wanting the witch to go away and not, not you know, take her dog. And <laughs> that's apparently enough of a, enough of a, of a wish to get a stunning song, to get a tornado to come, mm -hmm. to get a, you know, <laughs> get, get her on the journey. And yeah. when, you, when you find out for your character, what's her push into the journey, you know, what basically kicks her ass out on the road and says like, get out there and, you know, go until the tornado gets a little come a little bit late coming, just stay outside till the tornado comes. <laughs> And um, anyway, that's my, those are my main feelings about the theater. It's always a journey home. It's, um, and, and that, uh, and you need to know where the home is before you begin to write. You may not know how the play ends, ends, like who comes in and says, oh dear, you're finally here or whatever gets said. Uh, but but the, but the but the actual 
continuation of the main character's journey, and I want to say something about that in just a second, is, is what you're watching. You're, you're cheering for them. It's like being at a baseball game, you know, okay, you're up again now. You, I mean, it really is uh, in that way, very um, uh, physical. But what I wanted to say was um, I'm, this year I'm teaching a group of 10th graders at a, at a, a like a, a small, an early college program. And I wanted to teach them, well, I wanted to teach them the hero's journey. So I, I took three pages from the master class and I fiddled with them a little bit and I took them in and started to go on the process of teaching the hero's journey. And they went nuts. They said, no, we're not going to hear anything about a hero. We don't want anything about heroes. We're sick of heroes. Who gives a crap about heroes? And, and they, were, they were really literally standing up from the table and walking out of the room. And I what? said, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, we'll do, we'll do a different thing. We won't do that. We'll, we'll forget about that because I had already said, look, I've been writing my whole life and my, all the heroes in my plays are women. And, and but they, nah. Anyway, <laughs> so what I did was go home that next week, my wounded, lick my wounds. And, um, and then I rewrote it all in non-binary language mm -hmm. so that it reads the main character's journey. Mm -hmm. And whenever we don't have, we don't have the word hero. We don't have Shiro. We don't have, we don't have heroine. We just have main character. And, and I, I tried to figure out what's the best way to get that message out that we should just teach the main character's journey because that apparently really matters right now. Mm -hmm. to the group of kids coming through school right now. Main character's journey. Don't say who's the hero of this. It's who's the main character of this. Who, you know, don't ask, you know, who's, just don't say the word. Uh, it's, a, it's become like a poison word. And, um, and I, I, it's just my, my advice. Go through any teaching <laughs> you have. Get out, get that word out. You know what I really appreciate about what you're saying, though, as a teacher, is that you recognized right away that you needed to be flexible and pivot to, um, yeah, to you know work with with this group of students. Like you really listened to them, and you adjusted. And I think that's so. Uh, that must have been such a, um, a a gift for them, you know, to receive that you went, oh, you know what? I, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to receive that and respond. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I've said that around to some people because I think that oh, I know I know several people who are new to teaching who are having extreme difficulty with the 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 pronouns and um, it's very um, and I understand now that however we have to get ourselves to do it we don't have a choice as you just said you have to do this and uh, people can be male and female but then main character can be anybody so it's not like you know you have to write all binary characters 
it's you have to give everybody the pronouns they ask for and you have to put main character inside <laughs> um, and fully understand that. I mean, fully come to see why it was that group of kids went crazy. I mean, I, it's like, I, you know, I finally like got it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they wanted, once we were able to talk about it, they wanted to say, well, what about Odysseus? I mean, what, what did he do that was so great? Why does he deserve a whole <laughs> But I, I do think that good teachers also learn from the students. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and that you, uh, Mabel and I were talking about that just the other day about, you know, the, some of the work we do with uh, people who are experiencing incarceration and that when I first started doing the work, I didn't uh, realize how much it would change me. And that I, I think as a teaching artist, you are, you're, you're adapting and listening. And I mean, and I think those are the skills we use as playwrights too. being a good listener, being, you know, able to look at all of those angles, all perspectives, because you have to, when you're writing a play. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think a lot of people don't um, really understand about them how how important architecture is in plays and musical. So that you you know you you can't just like write along like you know that I mean there are there's very much of a ski slope at the beginning of the first act and then there's really a steeper stroke in the of uh, you know you go over and take the next lift and you you know then you go to the high mountain and then you let people out and let them see that that's what the that's what the design is for even including the little walk it's the you know it that's what the design is of a play and those things require they require structure and that's um it isn't storytelling in the same way novels are or or um even conversation i mean it's um it's very it's very artificial who comes into the room and what they bring with them and you know when the phone rings and that's all you that's all what you get to do is to create the world in which the story can happen and i think um i have a th i have another thing that i um say to people as a good exercise can i can i give you that yeah please uh, yes please the good exercise is part of what you have to do as a writer is is get rid of all your bad ideas just like you have to, and this is the way to do it this is the way to get rid of the bad ideas so <laughs> On an index card, you go, this is a play about blank. It takes place blank. The main character wants blank, but blank. It begins when blank. It ends as blank. So that it's just a five-sentence exercise for an index card that if you forget what you're doing, <laughs> which can happen, then you just go look, take it out from under your pillow and mm -hmm. just look at it again. This is the play about blank. It takes place blank. The main character wants blank, but blank. The, um, the It begins when blank, it ends as blank. And that that if you re you rely on, if you just count on that um it's the it's the path to the end and that's 
that's what you're always looking for is the path to the end, you know, not like the path to the next page, which by the way, I, I want to say also one of the things I've learned over the years is that, you know, do not ever stop with a scene and the ending of the scene and then turn your computer off. Don't do that. Hmm. What you want to do is do is go is right scene next scene. Um, you know, you want to just keep you want to go like great, my pal, you did it, you got it, you got it, you nailed that scene. <laughs> now then, next scene. And you say and you say where it is and who who's who's there and and what they say. Just a little bit more. So that you so that in the morning you don't come into Nothing. Oh gosh, that's that's a great idea. Although it's going to be five o'clock, Marcia, not the morning. <laughs> You're really coming in at five. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, well, yeah. That's such a great idea. I'm. Uh, actually, I'm gonna. I'm gonna try that because I, I am gonna try that too. Yeah, yeah. I I can see what you mean. It's like if you close at that scene, it's like some kind of finality and then you you feel like you don't have anywhere to springboard from and that's i that's great yeah, yeah. i i've have found it really helpful even the even if what i have done is in the overnight decided not to go that way and then i come in and i erase that and i say it's still you're still attached to it in a way we talk about this a lot on the podcast that I'm, I'm very married to short form. It's kind of my jam. It's where I feel the most comfortable. So when it comes to writing longer plays, I get a little stuck because I can write a tight 10 minute play. Like I can, I can get a lot in there, but right. I love this because I'm in the middle of expanding a short piece. And so the idea of having somewhere, something to look at when you open your computer and go, Oh Yeah. Uh, we're we're in a new day or we're you know but it's already uh, in progress great. so if yes. it's less daunting yes. you're already like in it it's not as daunting that's exactly right yes yeah yeah mm -hmm. instead of instead of being dared to sit down it's like oh come on you know it's like, yeah yeah play wants to be finished so that's I know, I know. Oh, I so appreciate this. this and is I really, I re the other thing I really believe about plays is you should finish them in two years. And if you <sighs> haven't finished them in two years that uh, quit. And the reason is um, you, we all change so much so quickly. And in two years, that thing that was really bothering you, that man that you just wanted to get out of your life, May may have be, gotten out of your life, and you may be at another whole place, and you you can't go back and work on the play about the man because you, you're not there anymore. It's you're not you. You're not that you, and so it, it's this is why so often plays that are too, a lot of plays say play. You know, people will come back to plays and say, "Oh, well." No, wait, that's not quite right. He wasn't, it wasn't because he was always batting tennis balls in the night. That was not it. It was that he, it was that his food choices were so terrible and I couldn't, I couldn't get him to eat better food. And so now I'm going to, I'm going to work that in with the tennis. I've already got sort of started in. I'm going to add that in. And pretty soon, you know, you're in, you've taken the play in a direction that you don't want to. So try so hard to get that play written in two years. And the other thing you can say is, hey, in two years, I will either have finished this play or, or it'll be in the trash. 
And, mm. and, and that's, a, you, we have freedom about that, you know? Yes. And I think it's good to come from a moment, a two-year moment, uh, if you can make it that way. And, you know, you have all the rules, you have all the tools. Um, it's like, can you build a table in two years? Yes, I could build a table in two years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, but, you know, <laughs> they get the legs on. I don't know, nails. I mean, you know what I mean? No, Marcia, you have talked about writing from rage. Yeah. Can you talk about writing from rage and what that means? It 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 means um, it, it usually means the thing that you cannot cannot. It's it's the thing that you first of all, it's burning up all. If it's a if it's a now rage, it's burning up all your energy. And so you need to find a way to translate it into words. Um, the reason to write about rage is that it's one of the few really valuable things that, that the canon does not include from women. Mm. We've got the rage of men coming out our ears, but right. we don't have the rage of women. I mean, except for, I mean, there, there are some people that are writing, you know, what is what is making women absolutely crazy? What makes what tears them apart? I mean, there are beautiful things like um, next uh, next to normal. Those plays, they're really beautiful plays. I'm not. I I just wish that the heartache and the rage of women got on the page so that we could share this with people that come that are in writing classes twenty years from now reading your work. Um, rage is a, is a really powerful, powerful, um, force. The, the, the other thing about it is that you remember things better when you're mad. Remember the mad, you remember the mad details. Mm -hmm. Um, and you remember, um, you, re, you, you, you can feel it. You can literally pour it out onto the page and it's, it's directed. It has to be directed outwardly. Um, I mean, you can't, you can't write a scene that goes, I am so mad. I am just so mad. I can't, I don't know what to do. Unless this is a person in a play who talks to themselves all the time, who says like, oh, that's okay. You're going to be all right. You're going to be, I mean, that'd be pretty funny, wouldn't it? If somebody <laughs> that was a self-comforter and a, like a constant um, companion. Yes. <laughs> that would be funny. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? I mean, I mean it would be like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean that. I mean it's a little schizoid, but I don't know. I, hey, I do. I do actually talk to myself a lot, but <laughs> I do too. Yeah, I do too. Uh -huh. I do too. I, I do too. I, I I go like, don't walk past that. I mean <laughs> that you know jar of peanut butter and put it back in the cabinet. <laughs> yes like like mm -hmm. that oh yeah and um I remember somebody said to me once when I was having some difficulties in the house and, and I I read this sentence that was um remember if you're having any troubles with your children before you see them just remember how much you love them mm. just go in there with how much love you have for these beings and, and then see what happens, you know, so that, um, 
I don't know why that, that but rage is the thing that people can feel toward their children, obviously, um, and toward <laughs> yourself. And, oh, yes. And it's just such a rich source of, you know, it's like maple syrup on fire. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really the big, the, it's that inside of you that we, um, and, and I think that when you can give that to a character, then the actors love that character. And the audience loves that character because they're on fire. Yeah, and maybe they're getting to speak a truth that sometimes isn't said out loud. I mean, that's the the power that we can uh, give to our characters that maybe sometimes we can't even experience, but our characters, we can still have that voice. We can give them the agency. Oh, I love that. And I had a little epiphany uh, as you, you were talking about rage and giving that to your characters about something um, that I've been stuck on. So victory. <laughs> your check oh. is in the mail. No. <laughs> okay, great. I'm glad. Although I would love I, when the when the class opportunities come up, I I would love to, okay. to take one great. of your classes. Yeah. It, so we were talking about teaching artistry. What plays do you recommend to your students? Um well, I recommend new plays. I recommend Lynn Nottage. Uh, yes. I I I recommend I recommend yeah. I recommend I people that are around now like David mm-hmm. Lindsay Bear like you know I mean I recommend the the people that you know Sarah Rule I, it's it's the people that I believe in. Mm. Um I don't I don't necessarily say uh, this is a play you have to say see, but I I say this is a person's work you have to know. I think that there are there are stand the standards, you know, uh, you you don't get much better than them. The the um, you know rhinoceros and um, <laughs> that's a standard, right? <laughs> and, uh, and our town and and. Uh, those those are the ones that I love as if they were religious texts, you know, that they they are so beautiful and powerful and they um, and even 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 say even in musicals, but it but assassins, you know, is such a uh, such an extraordinary piece. And if you can get I don't know where you are. Are you in New York New York? No. San Diego. Oh, I bet you could find a copy of Assassins sitting around, uh, oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, and we have to do that. We have to make a guide to great plays by women. Yes. Right. Honor Roll, Wonder Women will do that, right? Because at some point, a theater director is going to say, oh, I better put some plays on, on with women in them this year. And, <laughs> and what I would really like is for those plays to be chosen by us. Yes. Right. Um, so that we can, so we can really um, get more um, control. Yeah. I like control. I think it's, <laughs> it's. Oh um, yeah. yeah. I mean, most of my characters, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for home and control. Yes. <laughs> Yes. 
Well, I know that we are approaching time. We want to be mindful of your time. I didn't, I, we didn't even dive into your transition from playwriting to librettist. And oh, <laughs> that, that is, yeah. It's easy. You know, I, um, I, I got um, trained. <laughs> I was a, I was a pianist from like four. And oh. so uh, I was, a, so I did okay. all this like complicated big piano. I, you know, I never liked the showing off part, but I really liked the playing part, especially like forehand piano I really loved and had a partner and we performed on the TV in Louisville and, you know, but, um, um, but what happened was when I got to college, I went to college with like as much money as anybody would give me. And I went there and that was Agnes Scott college in Atlanta. And um, my scholarship work was accompanying the dance group. Now, I was a Chopin kid. I was over here with the Shostakovich and the, you know, and the, all that. And I, so I, uh, standing there with the dance teacher, she said, well, um, the girls like to do the plies to the Broadway songbook. <laughs> now, if you wanted to train somebody <laughs> for the theater, you could not figure out a better way to do it than say, mm -hmm. in order to put yourself through college, at four o'clock every afternoon, you have to learn Broadway songs and play them for the rich girls to do their plies. Wow. And I think <laughs> now about that as a, as a piece of fate, right? That's like, that was really something. And I could see them, I could watch them move. I learned all the, you know, I learned all the music. I watched how the music made them feel, what it was about. I learned, you know, I learned about Broadway songs. So pretty much from that point on, I thought, oh, okay, I want to write, I want to write a Broadway musical. I had previously wanted to write plays, but, you know, I wanted to write a musical. What, it, what happened is I had to write plays first because there weren't any musicians in Louisville for me to, you know, and then, and then once I realized that I'd written Night Mother and no, um, no critic was ever going to like a play better than that, I should just stop writing them. So I did and started writing musicals mm. and, and it was, um, you know, you make hard decisions and, but I love musicals. Heidi, my friend, Heidi Ettinger asked me, we were, we were friends 30, this was, would have been like 33 years ago, but um, we both had young boys and I mean like little kids, babies. And uh, Heidi called me one day and she said, would you, you know, if we don't, if we don't get a project going, we're never going to see each other. And <laughs> I said, right. So, and she said, well, do you know this book, The Secret Garden? <laughs> and, and I said, no, what is that? Whereas most people go like, oh, that was my favorite book for my child. <laughs> I, I was not raised with happy books. And so, um, so I didn't, but I, I read it. It didn't matter. It could have been about, it could have been green eggs and ham for all. I mean, I was going, I wanted to do it. So whatever it was. And then I looked at it and I read it and I thought about, it, I thought about what it was about. And, um, and it met all of my, you know, it's search for home, uh, you know, a story how, about how you recover from incredible grief and tragedy. And, um, and it's got kids in it and songs in it and, you know, okay, good. And so then we did a, um, look around for who could do the lyrics, uh, who do the music. I was going to do the lyrics and I did the lyrics. And then 
we found Lucy Simon and, you know, then we were off. And I, you know, I'm very happy and lucky. And I've just, I've just really basically had the best time. That does not mean it's all been fun. There was the Julie Stein version of the red <laughs> shoes that I put us all in the hospital and killed Julie, by the way. So, no. like, okay, not such a good story. No. But um, but I, I love them. I think musicals get get through to people in a way that that plays often don't um, because of what music um, alerts us to. Mm, but, you know, it works on us in this mysterious way. Um, I, I mean, I just think those, the, the moments that musicals create are, are what, they might as well be musicals of life now, mm. you know? I mean, the, the, uh, there, are, there are so many American musicals in which um, scenes, you know, if I loved you, that scene. It, it, um, anyway, I'm get, I know we're way over time, but I just want to, what I love about musicals is that they they do provide these bubbles, like th bubbles of gorgeous music and entertainment and emotion. I mean, that's who mm -hmm. how you are, who who the people really are. I'm I'm writing. I'm just finishing up writing. Um, ha ha! How to write a musical? With, about, <gasps> what? Really? Oh. Yeah. It's, Mabel, it's, it's your dream. My dream. That's my dream, Marsha. You okay, are great. going That's to make my I'm dream doing. true. And it's uh it's really it's a lot, you know, it's a lot about things that people don't think about. Like it's a lot about picking your partner. Mm. It's a whole lot about picking the subject, making getting the architecture right, figuring out what is what sends people out to the to the lobby, uh, and what's gonna make sure they come back. <laughs> so you gotta deal mm. with all of these really mechanical problems of musicals. Um but um, but I'd love to. Um, I'm eager for you to see it. Oh my God! When is that scheduled for for? It's for I'm, I'm in the final stages of correcting the. Wow! Final, you know, that's where I am. <laughs> so exciting! Yeah. Ooh. Well, they're fun, and they're and they make money. It's the you know it's the most money making, the most profitable, entertainment enterprise that exists. Wow! It's more mu a musical like Lion King, for example, um, like uh, musicals have more power to generate money than any other artistic thing. You know, I was thinking though, if if you're if you're unknown and you're writing a musical, I wonder if that it, it, you know, because it's hard to even get a play produced. If it is, you know what? I'm not even going to go there about challenges. I'm just going to think, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to get a partner and write a musical too. I want to do it. <laughs> I'm going to try it. I mean, it'd have Absolutely. to be, there'd have to be some rock and roll though. That's, that's good. Broadway right? likes rock and roll. Yeah. We have learned so much in this uh, hour and change. Um, and I think I think this is this is such a gift. So this is going to be our season opener for our oh, season great. four opener. So like, what? Jesus, where do you go? This is our night mother. Like, where do you go? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you go from here? <laughs> we, Mabel, we may be done. 
okay. I think we're done. It's our season, our season no, 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 opener, no, no, no. and our season done, finale. Uh, no, great. I'm real. I'm really um, glad that you asked me, and I've loved talking to you. So oh, here it's, we are. it's just such a joy. It's just such a joy. Um, and uh, truly, I I feel like I need to put some alert for your classes because I know oh. it's probably hard to get in. So I'm gonna make yeah. sure that I and am people should being write diligent. to Terry Stratton. Okay. At the Dramatist Guild. Oh, we're recording it. I was going to write it down. Oh, okay. Just write to yeah. Terry Stratton and say, I want to be in Marsha Norman's next class. Okay. And that, that's all it takes. And then okay. she can send, she'll send back a schedule, I think. And so your classes are primarily taught through Dramatist Guild or is the group where um, Wonder Women, are you doing that we're separately? We're going to do that as, a, as an extension of the class. So okay. All right. But people can can come in who I mean, hey, more come on in, more Wonder Women, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and um and I'm really uh I'm really happy to be doing it. Makes me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. It's okay. Important. All right. Okay. I'll see Thank you, Marcia. Thank you. And we'll Thank see you soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Marcia. Thank you. Bye. Wow. Can you, can you just like, what? I'm not even sure how to close this out because that was, that was a, a, a bucket list item for me. Uh, uh, mm. <laughs> yeah. So this I mean, is the great start to our season. We have an incredible lineup of playwrights, directors, and others who are involved with the theater amazing theater makers who are doing work that is really impactful mm -hmm. inspiring the next generation of theater makers and when i say next generation i don't just mean young people i mean the the people who are just getting started so if you're 55 and are listening to the show and thinking like hey playwriting sounds kind of cool i'm gonna i'm gonna try that like th you're in the right place you're this is where you're supposed to be and 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 I encourage you to listen to our previous seasons because this is all about you this is about this is the show is for anybody of any age who thinks that uh they want to try their hand at making theater that's my mic drop moment Tori was it mic drop enough was it like da -da! well it was because I I didn't even have anything to add <laughs> I left you speechless you left me speechless <laughs> Yes, listen to all of the exercises. Even if you go to the show notes and look at the exercises, it can get you going. If you feel stuck, you can't come up with an idea, go back and look at some of the show notes. There are some wonderful exercises that are included from, uh, like like Mabel said, it's not just playwrights, it's all theater makers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can check out all of the show notes, heyplaywright.com, like subscribe so i've been hearing you know i've been listening to a lot of podcasts while we were on break and like you know they're like um rate us on apple Podcasts. it really does make a difference which is what you've been saying all along tori i know <laughs> but other people are saying it too so i'm like oh Tori was right it does make mm -hmm. a difference so if 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 the spirit moves you uh feel free to to rate us on on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast i don't know if everything has a rating but um but yeah or follow us on instagram and, and twitter and um and Facebook, 
podcasts. We're also on Facebook. Yes, we're on we're on all of the socials, and it it really just takes a few seconds to give us a five star rating and and leave a review if you have a few more seconds. There you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. So until next time, Tori. Keep writing. Keep writing. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-8255 or text the crisis text line. Text HELLO to 741-741. Both services are free and available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and all calls are confidential.